Welcome to Better by Great Place to Work, the podcast that helps companies create a great workplace for all because it's better for people, better for business, and better for the world. I'm Christopher Tkachuk, the Chief Content Officer at Great Place to Work. Each week, we meet with great leaders who have helped their companies become better workplaces by focusing on their best asset, their people, who in turn help their organizations become more successful. Support for Better comes from DHL Express, the global market leader in international express delivery. Welcome to Better by Great Place to Work. We're coming to you from the 2020 Great Place to Work for All Summit in San Francisco, and we're joined today by Ellen McGirt and Tony Bond. Ellen McGirt is a senior editor at Fortune, and Tony Bond is the chief innovation and diversity officer here at Great Place to Work. Ellen and Tony, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So what I want to talk about today is uh, the Diversity and Inclusion Forum, which is a closed-door session that we have had here at the summit for the past, this year and last year, since the second one. Because I've been in the podcast booth, I have not had a chance to attend the DNI Forum. But I just want you, Tony, to sort of explain why we do it, first mm -hmm. of all, what it is, who attends, okay. and why it's closed-door. Yeah, absolutely. So it's an invite-only session where we try to bring maybe 100 CHROs and chief diversity offers together. And it's really a chance to convene people. Uh, it's a difficult journey we're on to create great places to work for all. So we want to create a space where people can come together, have courageous dialogue, leave with some things that they can take back to make their efforts even more impactful in the workplace. Okay. And actually expose them some some thought leaders as well. And, and so who attends? It's, uh, I mean, in terms of uh, is it how many people are in the room, because um, um, it, it is closed door. It's closed door. And is it invitation only? It's invitation only. Okay. It's probably 100. I think we had maybe 130 yesterday, so okay. it was an even better crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Ellen and I, who Ellen so really helps facilitate and co-design the session. Mm -hmm. We had some speakers from some of our best companies. Mm -hmm. And in each table, we had some DNI champions, some people who are out there doing work with many organizations mm -hmm. to help them get better. So it's... A mixed crowd, but mainly at a C-suite level, nice. VP level. And so is there a, sort of an open, because it's a forum, is it an open concept where people can just ask questions at any moment of someone on stage, or they have to sit and listen to someone give a speech and then wait at the end like a regular Q&A, or how does, how does it? Yeah, we try to create yeah. the experience where there's a little bit of listening, but also the chance to dialogue and connect at okay. tables with others. Okay. So we feed information, and then we have a chance for people to process that information, share with others. So okay. it's a combination. Okay, interesting. Last year was, of course, our first year doing this, and you participated then, too. In terms of your contribution uh, as a moderator, what what is the experience like? Are you coming set with a list of questions that you want to ask with the idea that you can get story ideas out of it? Or how do, <laughs> what, what, is, what is your mission with it? Well, first, I just want to set the record straight. Tony was very generous with me saying that I helped co-design it, but it really comes from his specific vision about what makes people comfortable enough to have the uncomfortable conversations. And the fun part for me as a person who established the race beat and the inclusion beat at Fortune is that it's a chance for me to not only acknowledge the work that people are doing. I mean, I cover them on a regular basis. Every time someone in the room publishes a survey or makes a new announcement or starts a new program, I cover it and I explore it. So it's a chance for me to understand where they're coming from and what their challenges are. And so from my perspective, I do come in with some questions that I think are be relevant for the audience, but mostly what I'm curious about is what are they working on? What have they stopped working on? What are the barriers they're experiencing? And the tender part is when the barriers they're experiencing are people, 
who are having trouble understanding how to hire and retain and be themselves welcoming to people who are different from themselves. So we end up having, and Tony, you know, I want to check your understanding of this. We end up always washing out into this incredible place of vulnerability where we're talking about what it feels like to talk with people who don't believe the same things that we do or who are, for whom difference is a fearful thing. We end up talking a lot about what it means to be tired in the face of doing this work. And once one or two people shares their vulnerable experience, where they are tired, where they are out of ideas, suddenly the room blooms mm-hmm. into this cross-talking, vulnerable, here's some tips, mm-hmm. here's some solutions, but mostly I hear and see you and I believe in you. And mm-hmm. So you, I always end up leaving tw- twice in a row feeling hopeful and just ready and ready to keep going. Mm-hmm. That's great. And uh, Tony, uh, can you share a little bit about what was discovered or discussed yesterday. Mm, sure. It's sort of an off-the-record conversation. Sure. But I would say that uh, Ellen opened... We, we're not mentioning any names. <laughs> yeah. But she you op- can tell about what Absolutely. some companies are, are dealing with right yeah. now. Yeah. I think there's some consistency across each company. Uh, I think Ellen opened up the conversation uh, magically by asking them, what's keeping them up at night? And there were so many similarities with all the panelists around what's keeping them up at night. We have the coronavirus, which is huge, and we're all here. Fortunately, we can you make don't it have here. the coronavirus. No, we don't have it. You know. we have the, we're we dealing have, with we're dealing it with happening that. in the world exactly. right now. Because I'll, if you have it, I'm going to kick you out of the podcast. I opened it with a story that was kind of scary, but yeah, yeah, no, that's one thing that everyone's facing. But one key topic that came up right away is disappointment in the state of black people in corporate America. You know, how do we get more, not just people in the pipeline, but create more opportunities for people of color? That's an issue that everyone's struggling with. And so people are very transparent and open about that. Uh, also, there's this fear of ha- even having conversations around DNI. How is it safe for you to say certain things without having it come back on you in a negative way? And so that's one of the biggest challenges. Is I think we created that yesterday because through the stories people shared, mm-hmm. we made a serious connection with each other. And I think that's probably the underlying thing that needs to happen. We move quickly to try to figure out actions. Mm-hmm. But we don't have those stories that we share around commonalities and we can build those connections. And is there one particular story that either one of you can think of from yesterday that stands out for you and that you can somewhat, you know, paraphrase or share without revealing too much? Well, yes and no. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the closed door policy? Yeah. I I think so. Yeah. It's, yeah, and I mean, we we should talk about this because off the record is not something that comes naturally to right, journalists, right. and we want to be able to get things out into the world, partly because it's how we make our money, but mm-hmm. also it's how, partly how we keep conversations going. But it really is magic, mm-hmm. you know, especially for something that's a tender topic. One of the jobs, and this is one of the reasons why I have such respect for Great Place to Work and all of the people that you assembled in the in the DNI forum, is that the world is challenging and awful for people who don't fit the definition of mainstream culture, whatever that is, wherever they live. Mm -hmm. And they walk into work with these real heavy burdens on their shoulders. Some of them are generations long about bullying and violence and danger, wealth inequality, the wealth gap. And then they're, they're being required to be representative of wherever they, they are not part of mainstream culture and do their best work and be the business case for innovation and drive change in their organizations. And now we're asking organizations and people who represent mainstream culture to care about them in a new way and understand what their lives are like outside 
of, of work. And that is a, I have empathy for everyone in that scenario. People who are really trying, assuming noble intent all around, who are really trying to bridge this gap and make a difference in their, in their communities and the world at large. It's big, big, big job. Mm-hmm. So we, people felt comfortable sharing stories of where they were diminished at work, where they struggled with and made mistakes within their own families understanding the, the, the changing identities of people in their own families and finding empathy for people who were struggling in the workplace out of those experiences. And I think the irony of not being able to share any of them is that the takeaway was share and disclose as much as you can as a leader as early and as often as you can because it will build trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were so many great stories. I wish we could share those. One thing that really struck me is how the PwC's CEO, you know, action for diversity and inclusion. Mike shared it on stage, but there were people in the the audience on the main stage. stage, There were people in the audience who really just told stories of how that's had a significant impact Mm -hmm. on their ability to have meaningful conversations around Mm DNI. So it just felt like this ecosystem, that one, you know, act of creating those, what, what should I call them? kind of a strategy to how to roll it out and have conversations has impacted so many organizations. Hmm. So there were stories where people shared how that's had an impact. I was shocked. In the workplace. Yeah. I was, it was a love fest. I mean, I was really yeah. shocked. And at the heart of it, all it is really is teaching people how to speak to other people, hmm. which is something that just seems to be, you know, just not happening anyplace else in society. And we have to ask ourselves why that is, why this is such a surprising and welcome addition to the leadership marketplace or leadership conversation, just stop treating people as assets and machines and start seeing them as people. It feels tremendously risky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Earlier this morning, I had Tim Richmond from AVV come in. He's the chief human resources officer. And I remember him saying this morning that, you know, one of their sort of principles is that they treat everyone equally with dignity and respect. So it's the same exact thing you just said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I keep hearing yesterday and now today when we're talking about DNI, and there's a word that has been added to that. And again, AVV adds the word equality. So they look mm-hmm. at it as EDI. Mm-hmm. Equality, diversity, inclusion. Mm-hmm. So, how many more letters are we going to be adding? Is this going to become like the LGBTQ plus? <laughs> thing, yeah, you know. Yeah. I know. I know. I guess, what, Tony, what do you think? I feel like we're going to keep switching in words and letters until we hit on something. I, I think so. Last last year it was welcoming, right? Which is a, a W. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to need a new acronym there. Yeah. We're speaking a lot about belonging. So there's so many different right. ways we're referring to and this. becoming and becoming, becoming. Yeah. right? And if if. Uh, if Tony Profit from Salesforce were here, he would say equity. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, that's the other thing that I was going to bring up is that gender equity is a, a term that I hear a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we discussed it yesterday. We had Tina Chen from uh, Time's Up Foundation here, and that's all we talked about, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But when it comes to talking about equity, uh, women in leadership positions, especially as well as you know um, pay disparity, which I know we talked about this last year, what are companies doing actually to close that gap? And to make sure that everybody is treated, you know, fairly and equally. Yeah. I think it starts with, it feels like we're doing a much better job of having parity at the entry-level roles. But for some reason, we have a difficult time promoting women, people of color. Mm -hmm. And so I know a lot of organizations are really focusing on it. Someone mentioned yesterday that we tend to allow a scenario to unfold where, let's say I'm coming into an organization and I'm a black male. Uh, I don't see anyone like me at the very top. And so it's on me to figure out how to navigate Mm. and create opportunities for myself 
and organizations who get it are doing more to help that person. It's not, they have to figure out how to be successful. But we realize the limitations that we're going to help you from day one figure out how to navigate and create opportunities for yourself. So I think it's shifting the responsibility off of the person to the organization to help people advance. Exactly. And when it comes to pay, where it becomes a pretty tangible look at who's treated and, and how they're being treated, it's way more complicated than people think it is to figure out who needs to, who, where people are on the, on the pay spectrum and if they're being paid fairly based on their male peers. Mm-hmm. And it's even more complicated when you break it down by race, which Citigroup did recently. Mm-hmm. And you have to do it repeatedly because as people leave and as you, as people, you hire people, you have to check in where they're coming. And it's to create a system where you're constantly or continually checking to make sure people are being hired at the right level, pay level, and being paid and promoted at the right pay level actually requires a certain amount of systemic change. Mm-hmm. So there are few, few people are really doing it and leading it and getting it right. Cisco, obviously, Salesforce, and Citigroup has, has really made a splash in the last year. But when I talk to these CEOs and these leaders, I'm always surprised. It's a little bit like starting up an entire internal software or data collection engine. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the budget or the stomach for that, and you're not really committed to that process as a leader, it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I find surprising is how many companies still uh, will not share their demographics of their of their oh workforce. Mm-hmm. And so, and I've, I've had this conversation a lot over the past few months um, with some of the folks that, you know, we're writing stories about as part of our best workplaces lists uh, in the articles that we contribute to Fortune. And I'm wondering yesterday if that came up and if there was a valid reason for companies not to be transparent. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't come up yesterday. We had a, we had a, pretty woke group who wants to share as much as they can. I bring it up constantly. And if there's anybody out there in listening land who has an intern they can share with me to help me with FOIA requests, this is something that we haven't (laughs) been able to do for a long time. It would make such a difference. That's the Freedom of Information Act request. Correct. That journalist is dealing with the government. Correct. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of reasons to use them. They're all, you know, and there's all kinds of pressing issues in the world. But I promise you, I think, what is it, 14 or 15 percent of the Fortune 500, the cohort that I most look at, makes their numbers public and I know they collect them because they're required by law to uh-huh. to collect them and submit them to the EOC this would not be hard it's um it is a it is an underrepresentation is an is an embarrassing problem to have uh-huh. especially as corporate leaders are under pressure to comment on social issues to think about how they are impacting their community in new ways as the world gets more complicated it is a it is a glaring problem that they have that's easy to see and i know that they resist sharing these numbers the the argument i've heard that is completely invalid in my view is that it's a competitive advantage you know, if you—that's all they ever say, isn't mm-hmm. it? Right. You know, they don't want their competitor to know. It's proprietary. It's like if I publish my numbers and you know I have three three black people, you're going to poach poach my three black people. It's right. like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like Stop as if they're the only it. three that are. Yeah. I know. I know. You instead, I just have to spend all my time sort of scrolling through LinkedIn to find them. I promise you, I will find them. Mm-hmm. But just making that number public would give people a, a way to benchmark. They would be, become more comfortable sharing best practices, what they've abandoned, and as. As I know there's a lot going on at Google right now, and they're having all kinds of internal issues. But the greatest thing they did on this on this subject was mm-hmm. make their numbers available because suddenly all the tech companies did it. Yeah, and it really helped. Yeah, 
I would agree that you hear the competitive advantage. I mean, we're all at certain points of our journey of creating inclusive cultures. And so I would hope that people can be more transparent, but it seems to be a situation where we don't want to be embarrassed or show that we're not, you know, living up to it. And so we keep that information pretty close. Well, you know what I've learned to do, and actually Tim Ryan at, at PwC had really sort of walked me through some of the difficulties of finding pockets of resistance or people who are resistant who don't understand and walking them through it, is I've learned not to be snarky or negative when I review a diversity report. Mm -hmm. It takes longer than people think it does. And I may be upset that year after year, the numbers aren't changing very much, but I've learned to ask why and and not and to just and skip the snarky headline. And it, it really, I think, helps change the culture that we're, we're not here to trip you up. We're here to, we're here to find out what will work. Mm -hmm. Is there a headline recently from one of your columns that you use that you got a lot of uh, feedback on? Just the headline alone, that you can think of. Everyone is racist. And what, what was said? You know... The worst that was said and the best that was said. When you talk about racism as a set of ideas that we don't examine, a culture that we walk through every day that affects all of us from, from, from different perspectives, it becomes a conversation that we can all have as opposed to a group that is being singled out for doing it wrong. And that makes a big difference, I think. Dr. Ibram Kendi, who wrote um, Stamp from the Beginning and, and How to Be an Anti-Racist, did the world such a service by framing it, by framing these issues as a set of ideas that we accept without thinking or sometimes accept because we believe that they are true and haven't examined them. And in his, in his latest book, he starts by talking about the insidious way that he himself had come to accept racist ideas, you know, that 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 black people were just one boot, boot, bootstrap pull up mm -hmm. from solving all their problems and being rewarded for those ideas as a young man in his own community. And it opened the door for me to think about how I can write about racist ideas in a way that we can all be invited to examine them. Mm -hmm. I do love a good call out as much as the next person, but I think that's more productive. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by DHL Express, the global market leader in international express delivery. Recognized globally on Great Place to Work's World's Best to Workplaces list, DHL Express makes a positive contribution to the world by connecting people and enabling global trade while being committed to responsible business practices, purposeful environmental activities, and corporate citizenship. Learn more at DHL.com. Tony, you're meeting with some of our clients every so often and talking about DNI. Mm -hmm. Can you share with our listeners uh, some of the advice you seem to be giving quite often uh, when you're meeting with clients? Yeah, it's a great question, and we this, we explored this yesterday. Sometimes this I use the analogy. Is to you by DHL it feels like DNI, the global market leader in international like express a, delivery, a recognized area, globally and a great place to work the world's best workplaces list. Understand why it's DHL Express mm -hmm. makes a positive to contribution to the world by connecting people and enabling so global some trade. Some of the conversations is really committed to responsible business practices, purposeful environmental activities, and corporate citizenship. Learn more at DHL.com. How do you do it through the lens of inclusion? If you're trying to create products, how do you do it through the lens of inclusion? So let's not make it a standalone thing, but it's a part of everything, whether you're hiring people, whether you're into corporate social responsibility, or you're into product development or strategy, it's a part of every conversation. So it's, it's opening it up. And the other part is, how, how do you help leaders understand this? And it's difficult to get every leader to really lead as a for-all leader, what we consider a for-all leader. Mm -hmm. It's a journey. And so uh, 
we talk about how do we get all our leaders enrolled in and being an inclusive leader. That's a big conversation. Yeah. I wanted to sort of change the topic to some recent news that, that Ellen has been working on um, in her Race Ahead column, which I've said before, and I'll say it again and again and again. The last time she visited us, visited us, I, I told all of our listeners to uh, subscribe to her newsletter, which is, I believe, still free because they've put up some sort of paywall on Fortune.com. 100% still free. Excellent. So yeah. all you do is put your email address in and every day, weekdays, uh, she sends out sort of the most important news you need to know around the conversation around diversity, inclusion, and race. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a daily must read. So go to fortune.com and sign up for it. I would agree. If I read no, no other emails during the day, that's, that's the one. I mean, Fortune does a lot of <laughs> newsletters, but it's my favorite one. Yeah. Um, so Ellen, what are the biggest stories that you've you know, been you know, either breaking or, or telling recently? That is a good question. And thank you for that. That really, that really lifts my spirit. Michael Bush just gave a shout out for Race Ahead on the stage. And he I said, you may, need, you may need to watch something uplifting afterwards. And I, I totally understand that. I had a, a wonderful longtime reader send me an email a couple of months ago saying that she had done a word cloud assessment of my last mm. three weeks of columns and I'd used the word grim 32 times. <laughs> <laughs> Am I all right? So one of the things I, I try to do is do a mix of evergreen things that I think are important for people to understand who are practitioners or who are just trying to be better at this in the workplace. So we cover expert advice on things like microaggressions, what they are, new new ways of thinking about what it means to be an ally. You know, you, you can't give yourself the, the label of ally. Somebody has to really mm. give it to you because it's an, you have to take a risk on behalf of somebody else. But then every now and then something happens like, a, a beautiful, beloved athlete falls from the sky, you know, and so my, mm-hmm. my Sunday column that I was ready to publish on Monday had to go by the wayside, and then we had to talk about Kobe Bryant, mm-hmm. because he was a complicated person in our lives, yes. and he was a complicated person for a variety of reasons, and rather than weigh in on, you should care about him for this, and, and this is how I feel about the uh, allegations and his apology for for rape earlier in his career was we are all going to be grieving a different part of what he meant to us. Mm-hmm. He is he was highly compensated. He was very famous. He was part of a big engine that brings people into our lives, and he meant something different to different people, and he meant something to people who were going to feel triggered by the way that his story f- unfolded, as opposed to the way his a- accuser's story unfolded. Mm-hmm. So that was an opportunity to talk about what it means to be a person who grieves in a different way and who walks in the world in a different way that now has to walk into work and work together. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I appreciated the um, opportunity to talk about it, and I appreciated the opportunity just to encourage people to be gentle with each other. I mean, it was a legitimate shock. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He was doomed in no particular way. Right. You know, he wasn't reckless or sick or, or you know, experiencing, you know, any chaos in his life. So um, the grief was pure mm-hmm. and there was no one to blame. No. Yeah. Ellen, in, in uh, the course of, you know, you covering this for so many years now, uh, you have an amazing network of contacts and, and sources which I envy just because, I mean, you seem to know everyone. You're a great networker. <laughs> what, in, in terms of how you get a story, is it because someone tips you off? Are there ever those kind of emails or calls from someone who says, oh, I need to tell you about something, but, you know, 
Do you ever get sh- that kind of like secretive inside knowledge from people that you can't really write about yet because it's either off the record or? Yeah, every, you know, every now and then, not as often as I would like. All tips welcome. Uh, all promises for, for off the record on background will yeah. be kept. Right. But I do think, and I know that this probably is part of your life too, your, your amazing transition into the work that you're doing now, is that showing up really matters. You know, for something like this is tender topic for Mm -hmm. people and seeing you and hearing you speak or just hearing you ask questions in person, the things that you disclose and part of conversation make all the difference in establishing this kind of beat. Um, And I'm lucky enough that I'm able to I'm 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 on the rubber chicken circuit every (laughs) every spring and every fall. And Mm -hmm. I do get to go to a lot of conferences where I see people time again. You know, now we're we're. Caution not to touch anybody. It has been so hard not to hug people. Yeah, you know because you see them every time. (laughs) This time next year, it's like real relationships happen here. And Ellen is referring to, of course, dealing with the coronavirus, uh, being in the world today, and that at the summit this year, we took many extra precautions to make sure that you know Mm -hmm. we're not shaking hands. There's no hugging. We're doing little elbow bumps. Some people are doing toe touches. (laughs) You took very good care of us this year, and it was it was it was not a natural thing not to just. Yeah. hug everybody I ran into. But for if you want to develop connections on the race and inclusion beat, you do have to show up in person and people have to get to know you. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's that I have a that I'm very lucky for is that race ahead really is in my voice. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make it distinct from some of the other fortune uh, editorial products that cover a sector. Mm-hmm. You know, it's th- these are objective things. These are human stories. So the newsletter sounds like me and I try to make sure that when I um, write about other people. It sounds like them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why we read it. Yeah. I, love you. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> I love you, Tony. I love you too. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so one, one last topic that I have to address, which because it is going to be in everyone's mind for even months after we first publish this episode is mm-hmm. the fact that we are coming upon this uh, election in November and diversity and equality are not part of the conversation in the way that they need to be, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I think that, you know, it's the media is to blame for a lot of that mm-hmm. when, because they're the ones who are going to be asking the questions, whether it be on the debate stage, right? If you had an opportunity to moderate the next debate, what would you ask? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a powerful question. Oh my uh, goodness. Wow. Just yeah. one, just one question, but it has to be around what we've been talking about. Yeah. Tony, would you ask about reparations? I don't know if I would. Uh, you know what I mean? Is it, it, yeah. is, it is. If you, I only had one thing, it is a way to talk about right. generations. Well, it's, divi- it's, it's so divisive. Yeah. I, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is why, and they, with the current crop, mm-hmm. um, I think the answers would be largely unsatisfactory. Right. So we'd really be looking for a question that would reveal their thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And where I find yeah. where I find Sanders falls short is that although he has interesting ideas about economic inequality, that is not the solution. No. For yeah. the race, the, for the racism that people are experiencing in this mm-hmm. in this country, and I think that's where he stops yeah. thinking. I would have to find a question. I don't know if I really understand their views on this whole topic. But I mean, it's personal views because so nobody's asked. No one's asking. Right. So I'd have to ask. I would have to almost frame up the current situation and then ask them how do they feel about it and how does that apply to them as a person, not right. not not even as a politician or potential president, but get to know them and right. their views because I don't at this point, and I'm a little disappointed because I know that regardless of who I'm interested in, uh, we've had some debates where women have shown up pretty good, even better than the men. And, and now we've gotten to a place where, you know, they're well, not even 
in the running anymore. So I don't quite understand. That. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. <laughs> uh, one of the things I do want to point out, though, is that, you know, we did have uh, the first out gay man running for president yes. get as far as he did. Right. And because of that, CNN hosted a town hall specifically about LGBT issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is another milestone. Yeah. Yeah. Where the really media is. was doing the right thing. Yeah. Right. And we need yeah. to celebrate that. And earlier on, MSNBC with uh, partnered with she she the people mm-hmm. and they had an entire forum just on issues facing black women mm-hmm. and their families mm-hmm. and most of the candidates showed up then that mm-hmm. that was a robust conversation about yeah. things like black maternal health right and you know disparities and outcomes in schools mm-hmm. i mean they really did a great job there but it didn't it didn't stick it didn't no. it wasn't baked in no. and, and we end up talking about corn pop mm-hmm. and we're not getting anywhere yeah that was what a Biden joke. I, one of the things I learned from yesterday is uh, <laughs> I knew this, but it was reinforced. We all have stories, and our stories involve hurt, pain, feeling excluded. And just by hearing people's stories, whether I even know you, there's an instant connection I have with you. And so I think it, we, we often have a conversation around how we're different and honoring the differences, but I think it needs to be a balance. If we can have more storytelling and hearing people's stories... It creates that connection, and that connection builds the right for us to have those difficult conversations, which ordinarily we wouldn't be able to. So uh, maybe it's a question that helps the candidates reveal their story and just get to know them better. Maybe it's just a different format. I mean, I know we're on audio now. The pageantry of the way the debates have unfolded, Mm -hmm. if they were on audio and people were sitting down and had a chance to not worry about what their hair looked like or just how the, how mm-hmm. presidential they appeared and just were encouraged to tell stories that right. were that were meaningful. I think that might be we could listen to them. We could bring mm-hmm. them into our psyche that way and not worry about you know the the uh, the optics. Right. I think that might be a better way to have The closest we got to someone becoming or being authentic on stage on a debate stage was was it the uh, Nevada debate where the question was what's a misconception that people have about you. And mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren's was mm-hmm. that she doesn't eat. Right. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Um, and she has, she's very witty. Um, but as a follow-up, did you guys see the Colbert video with her where he took her to a restaurant in Charleston? I saw some of that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's a must watch. It's so funny. And it, it was Scrooge just, McDuck has no pants. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah. I loved seeing how, you know, we did, we have a presidential candidate who is not only very witty, yeah, uh, but could match him for mm-hmm. joke for joke. You know, yeah. So yeah. it was, it would yeah. be nice to see someone who's that clever, right? You know, it would be nice. Yeah. I would be nice to have someone who could just fold a fitted sheet. You know, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> basic household competence. Yeah. If you know how to do it, you need to teach me. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that, really good. Right? I mean, that means Martha Stewart 2020. Yeah. That's yeah. it. That's the well, only one. This has been fun. I think it's a great way to end because we have to begin our next interview. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Ellen. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, for Chris. Thank us you, on. Ellen. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. All right. You've been listening to Better by Great Place to Work. The producers are Lizelle Festejo and Katie Van Geffen. Audio and video production is by Resonate Recordings. Better is generously sponsored by DHL Express, the global market leader in international express delivery. Tell us about your great workplace experience by finding us on social media. We can be reached on Facebook and LinkedIn at Great Place to Work and on Twitter and Instagram at GPTW underscore US. Also tell your friends about Better, which can be found wherever you download your favorite podcasts.